This is your friendly neighborhood author, Jonathan, and you are listening to Season 4 of the Floor Rejects Podcast, The Wells House Phenomenon. I have dead eyes. Hey, welcome back to the Floor Rejects podcast. Um, last week we had kind of a revelation with our story. Uh, Warren realized at the end of the chapter, the only really important thing that happened was Warren realized that Edward, through a pretty overt omission, um, that Edward was in on what was going on. We don't know for how long. Uh, we don't know really right now how much he knows, but we do know that he knows what's going on. Um, so let's get into chapter 21 of the Four Rejects podcast. Panic sets in. Okay. Chapter 21. Panic sets in. Warren crashes through the barn door, the trailer shaking as he flies through the open, wild-eyed and out of breath. Thomas smiles up at him, his face shifting to concern as Warren rushes at him, wrapping him in an uncharacteristic hug. Warren, what's, what's wrong? He asks, and Warren heaves against him, his blood thumping through his ears as he tries to catch his breath. He pulls back, falling into the banquette with a thud. Thomas, he, he knows, Warren says, and Thomas leans back with a heavy sigh. I thought we had more time, he says, and Warren stares at him, his vision bouncing with each beat of his heart. What do I do? Where, where do I go from here? Warren's voice is rising in panic, but Thomas remains calm. Where did you leave him? He asks, and Warren explains the last few minutes in the bedroom, omitting the tawdry details. And that's exactly what he said? Tell my brother hello? Thomas asks, and Warren confirms to Thomas's frustration. I, I have no idea how he knows. I haven't said anything. Not like I could during the day. Warren says, and Thomas shakes his head. It's my fault. After he grabbed me in the forest, I, I think I said something during the beatings that hinted at you being wise to what was happening to you, Thomas admits. What did you say? Warren asks quietly. I think it was something like, Warren won't let you do this to me much longer, Thomas says, his head hung low. Warren tries to keep his emotions in check, knowing that this was the only way to get him out. Why? Why would you say that, Thomas? He asks, and Thomas shakes his head, his chair creaking as he shifts uncomfortably. I, I don't know. I, I was just so tired, and he kept hitting me, first with his hands, but then with his belt, and then with a chain, and I was so exhausted, all I could think about was, well, our conversations, our time together out in the woods. I was just trying to keep my eyes on the prize, Thomas says, his quiet, deep voice wobbling on the verge of tears. Then he laughs. I can't believe I'm crying. I'm a goddamn demon, he says. His shoulders are shaking. Warren approaches carefully as smoke begins to swirl around him, his defenses and restraint weakened. As it clears and Warren approaches, the demon is in full form, his body straining at his human clothes, and his small sounds much deeper. Warren squats in front of him, placing his hands on Thomas's quivering knees. It's okay, Thomas. You didn't mean to. He assures him, and Thomas looks at him, his eyes swirling in dark shades of maroon. You just, you couldn't understand. I'm fighting my nature, 
I don't want to be like them. I'm not like them. I never have been, but it's so hard. I've never been able to tell anyone about it, and now I, I, I don't know what to do. Thomas says, and Warren feels a pang in his chest. We aren't so different, you and I, are we? Sure, I'm not a 400-some-odd-year-old demon, but I know what it's like to operate under false pretenses. I did it my entire life until I got out from under my family, and I have to pretend every time I see them. But you can talk to me, Thomas. I'm your friend for however long we've got, and you're my friend. Actually, maybe my only friend. Warren says. The sobs ease up, and Thomas looks down at him, his eyes now icy flames in their deep sockets. You're the first person I've ever talked to about this. Probably the only person, after all this is over. I just... I'm so conflicted. He says, and he stands. Warren does too, backing up. What do you mean, conflicted? Warren is cautious, scared that his ally was considering flipping on him. Thomas steps towards him, backing him against a wall. He puts his massive hand out in a show of peace. Not about helping you, just... What happens to me when this is all over? My mother? Edward? Am I condemning them to damnation because I can't be like them? It's not their fault that their nature is to be... um, demonic? Thomas says. Warren is barely breathing, the seven-foot-tall figure across from him making it hard to believe that there's no conflict within the confines of the trailer. Thomas, I'm gonna level with you. I have no other options than you, so I'm, I'm biased. But I think they've shown you their true colors. They tortured you, tied you up, beat you, tried to kill you. So I think that ship has sailed, Warren says. And Thomas looks at him intently, nodding for a moment. You're right, Thomas says, his voice still restrained, his eyes quickly hitting the floor again. What? Warren asks, putting his hand gently on Thomas's forearm. Nothing. Just a strange gut feeling. Thomas says, turning around. You can tell me. You've already come out to me as a demon with a heart of gold. There's not much else you can say other than... Well, no, that's about the wildest thing you can tell someone. What is it? Warren asks, his hand still wrapped around the hot skin. I can't. It's... You're not going to trust me afterwards. Thomas says. Warren tries not to react. Yes, I will. Just tell me. He goads. Thomas turns back to him, his eyes still flickering white and blue. He stands stock still for a minute, and then, almost in slow motion from Warren's point of view, he reaches out, his hands ever so gently sliding up to cup Warren's face. His face sinks down to Warren's, whose body, completely rigid, shakes gently as Thomas kisses him, his touch so mild and tender, his palms burning hot. His lips are so hot, warming Warren's entire face as he feels his body begin to relax. His mind stills for a moment, his thoughts quiet for the first time in months. Thomas leans back after a moment, his eyes now human. In fact, as they stand there staring at each other, his body morphs back, no fanfare or smoke, the bumps across his face sinking back, his teeth sliding up, and his entire body returning to human form, his face drawing closer as he shrinks. That, since the pocket knife, since the first time you walked through the door, you acknowledged me. No one's ever done that for me, Thomas says, fishing the knife from his pocket clumsily, smiling down at it. Thomas, Warren whispers, his mind now swirling, the calm gone. I know, I know, I just had to get it out. Now, back to the problem at hand. 
he says, his human body leaning back against the table as Warren palms his own cheek, the skin still warm. Now, Edward knows that you know, which means so does my mother. This escalates things, he says, and Warren looks up at him. Um, so what do I do? He asks. Well, originally I thought we'd have more time to figure it out, but I think we may need to be outside the box, he says, and Warren gestures for him to continue, still dwelling on the kiss. So, you can't leave on your own accord unless you want to condemn yourself and your family. You can't let them keep you here for your entire life. You can't give them a baby. That would only make the problem worse, so... What if you're barred from re-entry? Thomas suggests. Warren nods. But wouldn't I just get back in some other way? I mean, I live here. Wouldn't my daytime self just climb the gate or something? Warren asks. Thomas scoffs. Only way in is the gate. That's how this whole place is protected. Any other point of egress is inaccessible. Here, you would call it magic. That's how we keep prying eyes out. Locked gate for everyone, but you and, I guess, technically, whoever you let in, he says. Okay, so you lock me out, Warren asks, and Thomas smiles. Not that easily, but yeah, essentially. Your window is two days by contract, so if you were to, say, go on vacation and come back, if you were barred, maybe it would break the pact, he says, and Warren laughs. Seems like a big loophole, he says, and Thomas shrugs. They weren't counting on a demon with a heart of gold, he retorts. Warren smiles, stepping closer. I appreciate you helping me, Thomas. I, I know this isn't easy, he says. He knows it's dangerous, but Thomas was in pain. He was conflicted, and Warren wasn't going to endanger his own chance at freedom or cause undue pain to the demon by flat-out rejecting him. He even reasoned that he liked Thomas, as much as he could humor the idea of being interested in a demon. He was a pared-down, kind version of his other brother in the house, and the one in front of him wasn't actively trying to drain him of his entire life. The rumbling around them signals his body waking up. Thomas steps to him, his face much closer and less intimidating. I told you, you didn't deserve this. You're the kindest person I've met in my time in this realm, Thomas says, his hand on Warren's shoulder. As they begin to draw closer, the smoke swirls up from under the door and around them, the illusion shattered with inches between them. The next morning was nothing if not normal for Warren. There was the morning romp with Edward, and then the separation as they readied for the day. Thomas was still in his cast, and Edward was spending the day refinishing the boards on the house so they matched the existing ones. Warren found it relaxing, comforting, after a night he had tossed and turned. He was so sore and not as well-rested as he had been feeling. When it came to dinner, though, things went from tense to hellish for him. Thomas, how have you been spending your evenings? Edward asked as Thomas ate alone at the opposite end of the table. What? Thomas asks guardedly. You know, when you sneak out to the barn after we're all in bed? Edward asks. Warren can feel tension rising between the two brothers, and he braces his hand against Edward's thigh, who flexes. I don't know what you're talking about, brother. Thomas says, slurping up his soup, cool as ever. Don't you? Edward asks, standing and rushing at his brother. Thomas stands, but is no match as Edward slams him up against the wall, hand to throat, a light shade crashing down and shattering across the dining room floor. Lila looks on, almost bored. Edward! 
Warren shoots up, running to pull Edward back, but the huge man stares at his brother's reddening face, which doesn't move, only grows darker by the second. Edward, stop it! Warren cries, his hands no match for the tree trunk-sized bicep he was pulling at. Warren, get away! Thomas chokes out, and Edward howls with laughter. Oh, you want to warn him, huh? You think it's easy trying to manipulate this witless excuse for a human? Yeah, you better shut your mouth. Edward spits. Warren pulls harder, his mind whirling. Edward, please, he says weakly, the biting insult confusing and hurtful. Edward chuckles darkly before flicking his arm out, elbowing at Warren's face and sending him reeling to the floor. His face is dripping with blood immediately, and he looks to Lila, who stares down at him coldly. Lila, please stop this, he pleads, and she smiles. Only you can stop this, Warren wells. Her voice is harsh, crackling abnormally, and he looks to Edward, who's released his brother to a crumpled pile on the floor. Edward turns his blazing stare to Warren, who's now cowering in fear. Give in to me, Warren. It will only get worse until you give me what I need. Edward screams, the walls rattling inexplicably as the timbre of his voice rises. What? Warren squeaks, his daytime mind completely confused. Give it a chance, son, Lila says quietly, and she waves a hand over Warren, and suddenly his memory comes flooding back. The terror in his chest grows, but as Edward looks down on him, a smile spreads across his terrifying face. You could still have it all, lover. All you have to do is give in. I know that my brother has let you in on the secret, so give in, Warren Wells. Edward commands, squatting down in front of Warren. He meekly shakes his head, completely petrified but not willing to condemn everyone he was related to. Edward scoffs, rearing back and slamming his fist into Warren's chest. The man rockets back, sliding hard into another wall as the inhuman force. He can't breathe, his body on fire as he fails to draw breath. He chokes, struggling and fearful as his vision grows dimmer. Thomas scrambles towards him, crawling brokenly as the whole house shakes in anger. Lila smiles as Warren loses the last of his vision, and the last thing he hears is her laugh, the cackle of a demon gone mad. Okay, let's get into this chapter. Things that I like. Number one, the pacing. It moves quickly. We cover a night, a day, um... Well, really just a night and a day, but we cover it a little bit quicker. This chapter is only about 2,500 words, um, and usually we cover that in about 5,000 words. So I think that's a market improvement in pacing and uh, just getting things done quickly. Um, Other things that I like. I like the tension at the end of the chapter. I think it's something we don't really consider as something that, that... that could add to a story, I guess you could say. And I think this adds to, to the story. It doesn't just serve as filler. It adds more of a, a contrast to what Warren could be facing. Uh, and we're going to see that in the coming chapters when things go from bad to worse to worse or to worse dist. Um, but that's t- t- neither here nor there. Um, some other things that I like is, of course, the kiss between Thomas and Warren. I think we all saw that coming. It's not a shock or a surprise that Warren has feelings for the kind demon and not the evil demon. Um, we may not have seen the last of those emotions being toyed with or, or being um, manipulated, 
but I think it's a good start. A simple start. It's not uh, rushed or um, overly conflated. It's kind of confusing. I also like that Warren at night when his full uh, experience is there does have some of that sort of selfish, um, not so idealistic, not perfect character flaws, right? He's thinking about Thomas and he's like, yeah, I like him as like a friend, but I also know that he's my only way out of this situation. So I'm gonna not endanger that by like turning him down or making him feel weird. Um, and I think that goes to having an imperfect, you know, main character. Often in Harlequin romance novels, we're stuck with a protagonist or several protagonists who are all these perfect characters who have no flaws and all they want to do is love. That's great. Not realistic. Not that a story about sex demons is particularly realistic, but you know what I mean. If I want to argue for some sort of realism in the story, I would rather it be uh, my main characters being realistic. Those are some things I like. I do also think that my narration, my character voice is not my actual voice, but the words that I use for these characters, I think they're getting a little bit better. It's not quite so stilted, I think. I'm not sure it's different for me reading it than I would guess someone hearing it. Um, and the last thing I, I really like is more specifically in the conflict, Edward getting so angry and just flipping the switch on Warren just like that and really just confronting his brother in a way that's not coded it's not hidden or secretive or a few angry glances it's spoken outright it's a second version of the storm the remember when Warren goes through this whole thing with all of the demons and it turns out that the next day he remembers it as a, a tornado a storm um, which also had Thomas missing for a few days. So those are some things that I do like. Um, I'm going to be honest. I have some stuff still to work on. I say I'm going to be honest because I'm unfortunately going to have to start picking up more work as a second job. Um, it is what it is. It's what I have to do. So I'm going to keep trying to work on the podcast, work on getting everything out so that there's no changes. Um, but I do think that maybe my quality will suffer just because it's having a full-time job and then a secondary job. And then this is kind of like a third job that I do for free, which I love. Um, <laughs> I can only devote so much of my time to it. Um, some things that I am going to still be working on while I work on this. And like I said, hopefully you just don't even notice any difference in it because anyone who's listening right now, um, it's what the 24th, so anyone who's listening to it, the 25th or really at any point you've been listening. If you're a listener that's been here for a while, I appreciate you. And you obviously enjoy something about this podcast. So I want to keep giving you whatever that is. Um, I just, I have to survive outside of this because you hearing from me an hour each week that leaves a bunch of other hours every week where I have to um, make money to survive. And coronavirus has made that increasingly difficult. So uh, with that being said, some things I'm going to still be working on when I write um, is 
I'm getting better at the he said, she said, he said, he said, he said thing. I think if you've listened to any story read, you kind of get that, right? When something is read in your head, it's it's different than hearing someone else read it to you. You kind of get used to skipping over the this person said, this person said. You get used to reading just in a um, back and forth manner when it's a heavy dialogue chapter or scene. But when you're reading something to an audience, which is what a podcast is, I have to strike a balance between what I'm writing versus what I'm reading. And I do sometimes just change it while I'm reading it to you. Like there were a few times where I had a name written down just to clarify who was speaking. But as I was reading it, I thought it's still pretty clear. I'm just going to say he. Um, and I think that works okay, but I do want to get better in striking a balance in in that it doesn't matter whether I'm reading it or speaking it. It sounds good either way. Um, I think that's a good good thing. I do think that the Thomas Warren thing kind of came out of the blue. Do I regret it? No. Do I think it could have been done better? Yes. I I think it could have been done better. I think there could have been um, some more lead up within. Sorry, if you're just listening, all the lights in my house just turned white and my curtains started closing. Um, Alexa, turn the living room red. Alexa, turn the bedroom red. That was weird. Um, But what I was saying is I do feel that there could have been some more lead up. And that's something that, you know, if this was, uh, um, this is going to sound like me being like, oh, I wish this was my full-time job. Do I wish it was my full-time job? Yes. If this was something I was devoting 40 hours a week to, or more, because it's something I care about and that I enjoy. I think I could have gone back retroactively, had chapters and chapters written at a time so that I could go back, reread them and drop more hints, if that makes sense. But essentially what you guys are getting is a first draft every week. It's a first draft of a chapter and I'm building first draft after first draft after first draft on top of each other to create a first draft novel, right? So upon a further reflection and editing and rereading, I think there would be more hints dropped, right? We've gotten a few hints. We've gotten um, at least Thomas kind of expressing that he's comfortable around Warren, that he likes Warren, but there weren't a lot of hints. Do I also feel like there's some there's something to be said for trying to make a gay Harlequin romance novel in which it is just a complete shock and surprise, and that's fine. Yes. All I can really think about right now is the end of the story and how much I like the end of the story, which I have not written. Um, Ghost Train. But I I don't know. It's something I do need to work on is peppering things in more and more. I mean, you're reading a you're reading a book. You kind of know what the premise is. So you do have an idea that he's going to end up with someone. And it's probably not the demon that's trying to steal his sperm. That only leaves one other demon because he's Warren's. He's gay. He's part of the Alphabet Mafia. 
So it, it's pretty easy. And there's only three of them or well, four of them counting Warren. So it's, it's not a tough choice, but either way. Okay. The ghost train's not leaving. My neighbors have started playing video games and I can't stop thinking about how much work I have to do. So let's cut it off here, right? I'm not saying anything important and I still got to edit all this. So I'll be back next week. Like I said, hopefully nothing changes. There's no dramatic shifts. If you, like I've been saying in the past, if you want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me at thefloorrejects at gmail.com. You can tweet me. I'm going to be honest, the Twitter's been active for over a year and nobody's tweeted me yet. And the only emails I get from the email address are um, one from my sister being very supportive. And a bunch from when I use the email address to get a free Amazon Alexa. So I keep getting Amazon emails. I'm scamming Jeff Bezos because I love scamming capitalists. So if you want to reach out there, please do. I would love to hear back from anyone listening. I'd love to get some feedback and learn some things. Um, Besides that, as always, tell a friend, tell three friends, tell 10 friends. I'd love to to have more people kind of give me feedback or give me creative ways. I'm really looking into ways in which I can tell a story about someone who isn't a cis white passing gay person without infringing on telling someone else's story. That's not my story to tell. Does that make sense? Because it's kind of hard to toe the line between representation and then appropriation sometimes sometimes it's really easy to figure out but sometimes you want to include things in your story to make it more inclusive but what you end up doing is tokenizing and um inappropriately utilizing people's experiences even if it's without ill intentions your intentions don't matter your impact does so I'd love to get some feedback and figure out how maybe you think I could do that because I would like to do that. Um, as always, I'm going to have uh, some resources linked down below. We all know what happened in Atlanta. We all know what happened, I believe, in Colorado very recently. Um, so let's talk about it. Let's let's do some research. Let's do a little reading, a little educating. I'll link some stuff down below either in the description if you're watching this, or I guess also in the description if you are listening to this, um, just some general resources. We've kind of, not exhausted, but gone through a, a list of different, um, you know, organizations, charities, GoFundMes that revolve more around the Black experience. I'm going to try and find some more that help educate on especially the violence going on against Asian Americans right now and Asian people in general, um, because it's pretty bad. Um, but as always, I've been your friendly neighborhood writer, author, insurance appraiser twice over now. Um, tell a friend, please tell a friend. I want more friends. This is kind of like you're you person in the camera slash in the microphone. You're kind of my friend not to be embarrassing about that like you're kind of my you're kind of my friend ew ew do you hear that you're kind of my friend that's so (sighs) you're my friend that doesn't talk back and i wish you would so talk back to me um there's a plane going overhead so let's end it on that bye